Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. On Friday this week, my family and I were headed over to the Collins house for some dinner. Thank you, by the way. And it wasn't my whole family. We were minus our oldest. She was at Graceland Youth. They did a bonfire on Friday night. Shout out to the Graceland Youth team. Give them a hand. We got a few of them in the house. We love seeing our youth ministry grow. So we had just five of us, and I pulled over into the right lane on 840. And I was going my usual speed, usually a little bit over the speed limit, not a lot. And a car to the left of me started to inch its way past me. And once that car got right past us, I heard a little three-year-old voice behind me, my son Clay, say, no, we lost. (laughs) Never heard him do this, but he was paying attention to that car passing us. And so I'm not going to be a failure in my son's eyes. So I inched my way over into the fast lane. (laughs) And I was careful. I didn't go too fast, but I started making headway on the cars on the right. And I said, Clay, watch, watch, watch. And so we, we creeped up on the car to our right. And right when we finally passed it, I heard with so much enthusiasm, yes, we won. <laughs> so I continued to be a really good father and passed as many cars as I could <laughs> on that ride. We tried to get it on video and we never really got a good one of him doing that on video. But he has developed this thing where he is obsessed with being first, and he's obsessed with winning, and he's obsessed with feats of strength. I was putting him to bed last night in his little toddler bed, and you know, it's late, I need him to sleep, and for whatever reason, he sits up and he says, Dad, have you seen my moves that I do in the morning? And I was like, I I don't know what you're talking about, Clay. And he proceeded to do like Spider-Man moves off his bed. He gets up and stands on the side and jumps, and he says, this is how I get up, and I'm like, all right. Feats of strength, winning, being first. And I feel bad for the little guy. We just got him tested this week at a doctor's appointment. He's in the 18th and lower percentile of size for his age. He's following after the footsteps of his father. Uh, Some of my girls were like, you know, in the tallest 90%, but he's going to be a little guy with a big heart. Let's just say it that way. Heart of a champion. Um, He would love this sermon that I'm going to preach today because we're going to take a historical look at the very first disciples of Jesus. These were the first followers of Jesus. Clay actually might get frustrated because he would say, I want to be first. He'd be like, no, these guys beat you. These were historically the very first ones to meet Jesus, say yes to following him. We have the record of it in the Gospel of John, chapter one. We're going through this whole book. The series is called Believe. And today is titled, True Followers of Jesus. And one of the things I love about pastoring is hearing people's stories about how they met Jesus. You know, most of us in this room have some kind of a story. I've heard a good amount of them. And they're so encouraging. They're so life-giving. If I haven't heard yours yet, I'd love to hear it one day. But just as much as I love that, I also recognize, and I bet you do too, that in a this part of the country where it's a bit Bible beltish and there's kind of a, there's a, a Christian subculture that exists here where a lot of people will name the name of Jesus and a lot of people will name a church. It's important for us to understand and, and acknowledge just naming Jesus and just naming a church doesn't necessarily mean you're a true follower of Jesus. It's just reality. 
It's not a condemnation thing. It's nothing where this is going to be a hopeful message. But the good news of Jesus is not actually good news if we're not really healing, hearing it and responding to it in the reality of our lives, right? It's not good news at all. We're just going through motions. So perhaps this sermon might find you in a couple different areas. Maybe it'll, it'll catch you where it just encourages you and reminds you of, man, those days when I first followed Jesus, what a joy, what a delight, how amazing to reflect on that. It might catch you in a way where you're like, man, I, my faith feels dormant. I, I feel like I am kind of dialing it in and, and maybe God, I, I pray, will rekindle that. Or maybe you're just not a follower of Jesus at all, which is perfectly fine, but we wanna invite you today uh, to know and follow Jesus. And in this series, we're going through every uh, line in the Gospel of John. And what I'm doing at the beginning of each sermon is reading the full text that we're looking at. And the one today is verses 35 to 51. It's a pretty long chunk. The reason I feel like it's worth taking the time to slowly read is because Scripture commands us to read the Scripture publicly. And I don't want to be uh, a preacher that just wants to hear my own thoughts and voice. I want to make much of God's Word. Because through his word, he speaks by his Holy Spirit. So once I read this, we could all just go home if we wanted to. We're, we, we, we've won for the day because we've made much of God's word. Are you tracking with me? That'll be the best thing we do today. So look at it with me. It will be on screen, or you can read along on your device or in your, your uh, Bible. I don't know what to call it, like a paper Bible or a hard copy Bible. The fact that so many people use their devices now, what's the right language? Help me. Just Bible? Just, okay, so I, I accept that. I feel like I just got rebuked. All right. <laughs> John 1, verse 35. The next day, John, and this is talking about John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending, descending on the Son of Man. Uh, Spirit of God, we, we just continue to welcome you in this place. And we ask that you will quicken your word in our hearts and give us ears to hear, eyes to see what you are doing. In Jesus' name we pray, 
Amen. Looking back at verse 35, where we started, we see John the Baptist hanging out there with two of John the Baptist's disciples. He sees Jesus coming by, and he did what we talked about last week, which was the power of just simply pointing to Jesus. He says, look, there's the one I was talking about, the Lamb of God. And he says it with such conviction that his own disciples, when they heard him say this, left him and followed Jesus because they were waiting for the Messiah. They're looking to follow their teacher. Number one in your notes, like John, you have influence and what you say about Jesus matters. Notice what it said in verse 37. When the two disciples heard him say this, they went and followed Jesus. We have to just simply remember that people hear what we say and what we say about Jesus in particular matters profoundly. In other words, we might not exclaim, behold the Lamb of God when we're at work in the middle of the day, but how we speak of the things of God and how we speak of work and how we speak of what we're even doing there, how we speak to the people around us will either point people towards Jesus or away from Jesus. And then it's even more than what we actually say with our mouth, it's what our life speaks. The way you live is always speaking something to someone. It speaks what you value. It speaks whether you're clinging to the gospel or not. The reason I like to preach and, and speak to people from a context of weakness is because I believe that when we share our wins and we share all the good things alone, it can sometimes create uh, competition. But when we share from the posture of our weakness and we say it's all about the Lord, it creates community because people can relate to it. So I want my life to speak about the gospel. I don't want it to speak about any kind of self-righteousness that I have. I have none. It's all the Lord. So how we speak about him matters. Do people see the truth and grace that we talked about last week? Do they see that you prioritize the, the spirit of God in your life guiding you? Do they see that you prioritize the church family? You know, how we engage with church speaks to people about what we believe of Jesus. Does how you live speak to them that you believe you're actually a part of what God is doing in the world? Because you are the church all day, every day of every week. And how you live out there is how you live as the church. There's this song, it's a pretty heavy lyric, but I'm gonna read it, it'll be on screen. Uh, Casting Crowns did it, it was written by John Mark and Mark Hall. It says, be careful little eyes what you see. It's the second glance that ties your hands as darkness pulls the strings. Be careful little feet where you go, for it's the little feet behind you that are sure to follow. Be careful little ears what you hear, when flattery leads to compromise, the end is always near. Be careful, little lips, what you say, for empty words and promises lead broken hearts astray. People never crumble in a day. Families never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. It's actually a hopeful song. That doesn't make it sound very hopeful, but it's just giving us the, the needed and sobering reminder that what we speak and how we live is being followed. And our kids, those that we influence, our grandkids, our siblings, our parents, our loved ones, even those that we have animosity with, they're paying attention to what our life speaks. My prayer is that my life will speak loudly the good news of Jesus. My prayer is that my life would just simply point people and say, behold the Lamb of God, follow him. And there is this sobering way to say it, but here's how I think of it for myself. And I just believe it's true for all of us. Others will follow or not follow Jesus 
because of what my life says about Jesus. So I wanna be like John the Baptist and just be obsessed with look to him, look to him. He is the Lamb of God. We're gonna keep talking about that and frame it in a very hopeful way over the remainder of this message. Reading on in verse 38, turning around, Jesus saw them, the two disciples that were leaving John, and he asked, what do you want? So that's a strange response from Jesus to me. Imagine if you're here seeking the Lord and all of a sudden you have a vision and, and, and Jesus is before you and you, you behold his face and, and, and you're saying, I'm seeking you, God. I, I'm here for you. I need you. And he just looks you right in the eye and says, what do you want? And Jesus did this often. He would lead by asking questions. He would confront things in people by asking questions. And probably a truer translation of this when you study the context is, what are you seeking? So not as, just mu as much like, oh, I'm hungry, so I want a hamburger right now. But what is it that you are seeking in the depths of your heart? And I just want you to reflect on that question as we respond to this text. What are you seeking? And think about Jesus standing right in front of you and saying, my son, my daughter, what is it that you seek? It's a good thing to grapple with because it helps us grow in our own self-awareness. A lot of us begin our relationship with God by very much just what we want from God, right? There were whole crowds that gathered around Jesus just because they wanted a meal and they were hungry. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's why we do things like fall festival. We throw a party and we say, hey, come hang with us. We actually wanna introduce you to Jesus. We have pizza, we do hot, you know, whatever it is, it starts by just wanting to fill our bellies. And think about that metaphorically. We want something from God, but it's a very sad thing to stay there in your relationship with God. Ultimately, God is wanting to lead us into a relationship where we understand that the prize is actually just knowing him. And like we talked about a couple weeks ago, the word, Jesus, is the essence of life. So rather than seeking all the little things that we might say, I want this, God, I want this, God, I'm seeking this, I'm seeking this, we eventually mature, hopefully, and we learn, I'm seeking you. You are the essence of life. You are all I need. Highs can go, lows can go. This circumstance can happen, this challenge can happen, this victory, this loss, this pain, this celebration. It all happens in all of our lives, it's part of life. But if we focus our attention and our seeking on the essence of life, that's what changes everything. So we get changed in the midst of whatever our circumstances are. And I think the response of these two disciples that were now wanting to follow Jesus speaks something interesting about their heart. They said, Rabbi, in verse 38, which means teacher, where are you staying? So that was their response to what do you want? Where are you staying? Now, to me, that's basically them saying, we want to be around you, Jesus. Where are you? We want to be there. And I love Jesus' reply. And it's just incredible. He says, come and you will see. That is so compelling. Whatever we're seeking from Jesus, he invites us to come and see. And I just want to remind you, number three in your notes, you, make it very personal, are invited to go with Jesus. Wherever he's going, you're invited. Have you ever been sad because you're not invited to the party? Or have you ever felt like you're on the outside of the cool kids and you're like, man, I wish I was in there? Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, coolest one in the universe, says, hey, wherever I go, you can come. You're invited to go with Jesus. That changes everything about every circumstance and every relationship in your life. And I wanna remind myself of that every single day. 
In verse 39, it says, they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. I don't know why God put that in there, four in the afternoon. (laughs) I don't know if there's anything special about four in the afternoon, but I find it humorous that that's even there. But I think that it's enough to say at 4 p.m., I'd like to think about being with Jesus wherever I am. Then reading on in verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. So he was with John the Baptist. Now he's with Jesus. Look at verse 41. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. So Andrew is doing what we talked about at the beginning. He's recognizing that what he says about Jesus matters. And the first thing he wants to do is go get his brother and tell him about who Jesus is and bring him. And this is just true in life. Number four in your notes. When you truly meet Jesus, you immediately want to bring others to him. Simple. That's what evangelism is. Evangelism is not you getting guilted into witnessing to people because you heard a sermon series on it. Evangel- like I was like that as a little kid. Can anybody relate to being in middle school and waking up thinking, oh my gosh, I got to witness to people today. Who am I going to witness to? Anybody with me? I wore it as a burden. There's only two people here. Fear, I need to know. I need some help. Thank you. Camaraderie. Camaraderie. Thank you. I would wake up my little middle school self just trying to find my people and figure out who I was. And I'd be carrying this burden of like, oh man, you better tell someone today. In reality, um, I didn't even really know Jesus then. Uh, I'm thankful for the upbringing I had, and I, I called myself a Christian, and, and I think, God, I think, you know, I would have completely been with the Lord um, had I died or something like that. I think my heart was towards him, but I really wasn't introduced to him until years later. And when I met Jesus, guess what I did immediately? I brought more people to Jesus because I met him. It's like, oh my goodness, this is, this is everything. This changes my life. This changes my mind. This is transformative to me. It immediately, I love that it talks about his brother because one of the very first ones I had influence with was my little brother who was following me one way and then followed me a different way when I met Jesus. And it's just as simple as that. That's evangelism. It's like how we talk about giving. It's not I must do, it's I get to do. It's not like, oh, I must evangelize today. Oh, I get to point people to Jesus today. What a gift, what a privilege. It does beg the question though, when they were meeting Jesus, they were with him in person. So they were literally bringing people to Jesus. Like you could go get your brother and be like, hey brother, walk with me over here. I want you to meet this guy. What does that look like for us today? I've never seen Jesus in person, have you? Other than us as the body of Christ. We're his body on the earth, but I've never gone and met Jesus physically. So what does it mean to bring others to Jesus? And I think it's these eight simple things that'll be on your screen. They're actually not in your notes, but it's simple. It's sharing your story. So when you're meeting someone, just like Andrew did, it's part of your story that Jesus has changed your life. And so you share it with people. And by doing that, you're bringing them to him. It's sharing the gospel. That's the good news. It's just letting people know it's all about what he has done for us. And we just simply accept it. We say yes to him. We follow after him. He leads us in the way everlasting. It's by what we talked about earlier, what you say and how you live. It's kind of like what Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. It's by actually inviting them to follow Jesus with you. 
Uh, I talked about Don Forbes in our first service. He just stepped out, but he does this really well. He goes out and works in homes all around the city for, for his uh, business, and he's always praying and he's always meeting people. He'll often end up sharing Jesus with them and very much inviting them to just hang out with him, follow Jesus with me. So taking that personal responsibility, showing them the word of God. The word of God is the greatest treasure. And I don't know if you realize this, look at me for a second. This is such an important thing. You don't have to be an expert at understanding the word of God to share it with people. That's like the greatest lie to ever hinder Christians from just pointing people to scripture. If you have a friend that's struggling with anxiety, let's say for instance, just Google scriptures on anxiety. Show up to your friend and be like, hey, I found these scriptures that might be helpful to you. I know you're not necessarily a Christian, but these, these have been really powerful in my life. I believe that God's word has power. They'll think you went to seminary or something. You just did a five minute Google search and you have invested into them the greatest treasure. Do the same thing with your kids. Do it with your grandkids. Do it with whomever. It is not hard to just invest the word. You don't need to be an expert. And it is fine if someone brings you after that 100 questions about the Bible and you're like, I don't know, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Just say, I don't know. You know, you can send them to me and I'll probably say, I don't know too. And we'll be like, we, we are trusting the mystery of God. There's a lot of mystery in this thing and that's okay. The longer I go, the more I'm like, man, the more I don't know. The more, I, I'm, I'm certain about less and I'm uncertain about more, but my faith is more solid than it's ever been, right? And that is an okay place to be. So invest the word. When you do that, you're bringing them to Jesus, praying with them. I wanna just echo the great company. <laughs> not, I'm not trying to make a comp- comment on the company, but Nike and say, you just need to do this. I wanna say this to you strongly. A lot of people are afraid to pray with others. They're just fearful of they're gonna sound stupid. They don't know what to say. But I believe with all my heart, there are so many people out there that have never had someone just grab them and pray with them. And they've never experienced what it is to just have someone with an honest heart lift them up before the Lord. And you can do that so easily. You can just grab their hand or you can put your hand on their shoulder. You don't have to say anything fancy. You could just say, God, please help my friend. She doesn't know what to do right now. And, and we, believe, we believe that you hear our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Like, I just, I wanna push on you, just do it. Actually pray with people, including your spouse, including your kids, including loved ones. It can be hard to pray with those you're closest with because you can feel stupid or you can feel silly, you can feel like a hypocrite. That's fine. We're all silly, stupid hypocrites without Jesus. You know what I mean? We're just with those people calling on the name of the Lord. This is something we need to learn more and more. And then piggybacking on that, inviting and listening to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is real, the living God among us. And he's there to help you when you pray with people, when you talk with people. And then I put last on this list on purpose, inviting them into the church family. Because a lot of people in the church in the West, we've been kind of discipled to think our primary evangelism is just invite them to church. Leave it to the professional Christians like me. They'll, they'll come here so-and-so preach or they'll get impacted by this and that'll be it. And that's obviously not working in the church in the West because the church is growing weaker and weaker and shrinking and shrinking as a whole in the West as secularism just blows through the roof, roof in our society. So that's not, that's not what God has called us to do. Do all of those other things and yes, invite them into the family. Let me also say when you, to invite someone into the family of God is a lot different than just saying, hey, come visit this church service that I'm a part of and then letting it go. When you invite someone into the church family, yes, you may invite them to the service, for sure, bring people in. 
That's how we're making room with our multiple services and the kids and all that. Bring them in, but, but then bring them with you. Like meet up somewhere and come together or tell them that you have a seat for them. Plan to get lunch afterwards. Bring them into your world and into the actual family, not to come sit on a service seat by themselves. Tracking with me? Giant difference of inviting someone into the family of God. It is hard to resist when someone invites you into the family of God, even if you're not a believer, because you realize, oh my goodness, there's this place where I am loved and I belong and they accept my mess, they accept me and they, they point to hope and they care for me and they feed me and they, 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 they support me. It doesn't matter, it is compelling to know and follow Jesus when you meet the family of God. But we have just too many people just saying, Come, come visit the service, and they're not offering their life. So the primary evangelism, you are offering your life to people and saying, hey, come with me. You guys tracking with that? This is a beautiful thing, and we need more and more of this. Um, I had a friend in my youth group in those teenage years that was a catalyst to my life before I, met really, before I really met Jesus. And, and all he did was in the middle of a youth service one Wednesday night in Virginia Beach. We were like 16-year-olds. I didn't even know him that well. Both of us just going through the motions. I was just in another youth service, whatever. Just what I, what I did as a pastor's kid. He got out of his seat during worship, walked up to the front right down, right down the aisle, really bold move. And there were no altars like this, but he just got on his knees and he lifted up his hands and just started worshiping and crying in the presence of God. And when I saw that, as just his friend from school, the Holy Spirit just quickened in my heart and was like, there's a lot more to this, Nathan. Like, you don't know what you don't know and you're, you're getting invited into something. Has that ever happened to you? You see something in someone, you're like, there's something more. There's something I had no clue about. And that's no clay place to be. I was in church for 17 years at this point since I was basically born in a pew right? You could be in church for decades and decades and decades and not really meet the transformative reality of the person of Jesus. And that, just seeing that kid, his name was Rob Morgan, do that was a catalyst for me meeting Jesus. His life was speaking to me. He was bringing me to Jesus. He didn't even know it. Reading on in verse 42, Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. First time he's meeting him, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter, and that means rock. So right upon meeting Jesus, Jesus changes Peter's name, changes his life forever, and gives him a glimpse into his whole future. And I love this principle, number five. You can bring people to Jesus, but only Jesus changes their lives. So his brother, Andrew, just brought him. Then then it's up to Jesus. And sometimes when we're, care about bringing people to Jesus, especially loved ones, we also take the burden of, I must now change them. (laughs) And I'm just here to tell you, you're in for a miserable life if that's how you live. And you're also going to hurt people more than you help them if you try to change them. You got to just let people be. Invite them to know Jesus. Jesus, through his word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will transform their life. Who knows when that time is? Who knows how God's going to do it? But it's not up to you. A friend of mine who has taught me a lot about pastoring has this great quote His name is John Tyson. He said, we want theology that can't be dismissed and power that can't be denied. 
And I love what that articulates, because a lot of times those were kind of two different camps. There were, there were denominations and churches that were really good with robust theology, and they would teach really good doctrine, but they didn't have a lot of sense of the power of God in their gatherings. And then there were like very Pentecostal churches that had a lot of like this sense of the power of God and, and emotion and responding to God, but terrible theology and not, not really good, robust teaching. And there's a, a real move of God's spirit, I believe, right now that's just biblical, bringing those two worlds very much together and saying, man, imagine a place where it's theology that can't be, that can't be dismissed, meaning it is, it is well thought out. It's a robust, healthy, uh, doctrinally-based, biblically-based theology mixed with a full demonstration of the power of God. And I love that compelling vision, and I'm all about it. But if I'm not careful, I can wear that as my burden. Like, I must now somehow change people based on just how good I preach so it's theology that can't be dismissed and power that can't be denied. I better get this right so that people can really be changed and meet the Lord. And then I'm back to like a works-based gospel and I'm in all kinds of pressure and burden. And I'm doing in that moment what a lot of us do with friends that we wanna change rather than just saying all we're doing is bring people to Jesus and then he alone can do it. Tracking with me? One path is a really miserable life. The other path is a really healthy, flourishing life. Jesus, at the end of the day, said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Like, we needed to go talk to some of the Christians, myself included, that are just living life full of, like, ministry burden or changing people burden and say, hey, don't forget, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. What are we really doing here? We want the work of Jesus, not the work of our own effort. We're going to close this um, as we look at the rest of the text. And text. It. Oh, one last thing before I read the next part, because I just have to get this in. Notice that when Jesus meets Peter, or I should really say Peter meets Jesus, Jesus immediately calls something out of him for the future. Now, we know because we studied Peter for, Peter for like three months earlier this year, the life of Peter. Peter was a hothead. Peter was impulsive. Peter cut off someone's ear in anger. Peter rebuked Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. He was a mess. But when he first met Jesus, Jesus changed his name to Rock. That's what Cephas means. He says, you are the rock that I'm going to build this church on. And if you look at Peter's life, even for a while after he met Jesus, he was everything but a rock. And that's just really good news for us because Jesus speaks a better word into your life. Like your failure is not what speaks who you are. Jesus speaks what you are. And Peter eventually caught up to that and did become the rock that the church of Jesus was built on. So you can take heart. I like what our pastor emeritus, Pastor Ralph Duncan says here, God uses us at our present level of development. You're not gonna be fully developed. God will still use you. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael. So he's doing the same thing. Right away, he grabbed his friend and he told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good from there, Nathaniel, come from there, Nathanael asked? Come and see, said Philip. So now Philip has taken on the language that he learned from Jesus. He just says, hey, yeah, maybe you don't think anything good can come from Nazareth. Come and see. And let me encourage you, when you're bringing people to in Jesus, don't get in political debates. Don't get in church history debates. There's all kinds of insane things that have been done in the name of Jesus. Don't try to defend all those crazy things that have been done. Just say, 
Lay down all your biases, lay down all the things and come and see. Pursue the person of Jesus. And that's essentially what he was doing right here. I, I remember preaching once at a church, raising money for a church plant in Los Angeles 10 years ago before we moved there, 11 years ago. And I did this whole, this whole talk and people were supporting, we were praying. And right afterwards, this whole group of guys comes up to me and says, hey, we're glad you're going there, but really we just want California to fall off the, the country and into the ocean. I was like, oh. Like that's, thanks for your support for our church plan. And I'm gonna be there, so I'd rather not be in the ocean. And it's, it's very much like God to raise up beautiful things out of places that we are biased towards, right? So it's really good to let go of those things and just invite people come and see, but also to make sure in our heart that we're not blocking off certain things that maybe God could do. Verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. So once again, his friend just brought him. Jesus immediately changed his life. Jesus spoke with power into his life. Last two verses, Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus repeatedly said things to his followers, including that they would do greater things than they even saw him do. So like there's this sense that our, imagine barely, our imagination barely scratches the surface of what the Lord wants to do.